This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast on this Super Bowl week. And remember, Bet Rivers has a new football squares game where you can win up to $10,000 when you make your football bets. So check it out on the Bet Rivers and Play Sugar House apps. And remember, for all of your wagering needs this Super Bowl week, it's Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey, Play Sugar House in Connecticut. And obviously, the, whatever you may need, uh, all different kinds of combinations and different things uh, and, and whatever, parlays or whatever crazy bets you're looking for, you'll find them on the Bet Rivers uh, app and on the at BetRivers.com, where you can find the program as well as everywhere else that uh, podcasts are distributed. Um, before we get to some emails, a couple of things here. Um, the Rodgers to the Jets momentum is kind of picking up the Jets obviously are going to go out and do everything they can to elevate the quarterback position. And despite his strange behavior, and there's no other way to describe Rodgers except strange, he is still way, way a cut above any of the other possible quarterback prospects who could come to the Jets. It's not even close. Rarely do you find a guy who can play at that level. And he still has plenty of football left in him. I don't think there's any question about that. And as I have told you all season, the Jets, I told you before the season started that the Jets had elevated their roster enormously, defensively and offensively. And um, they are a quarterback and better coaching away from being a serious, I'm talking about serious contender with Buffalo, with Kansas City, with Cincinnati. Their defense is that good. With Wilson and Hall leading the way on offense, and they need to bolster the offensive line, which they know. And Hall has to come back healthy. They know that. But they, with the quarterback and proper coaching, could be a serious title contender now. That's how good the defense is. So... They have to do everything in their power to get Rodgers. I don't know if they will or they won't. But I don't know what's in his head. I don't think anybody knows what's in his head. And we all know he can go to the Raiders or he can stay in Green Bay. But the Jets would be a nice fit. And from a football standpoint, it would be a terrific fit. The Super Bowl. And... If you're someone who eats up all the nonsense that goes on with the Super Bowl week, then, you know, this is it for you. Just go watch hours and hours of endless drivel. That's what you get, you know, and you'll hear every possible thing and every possible thing broken down. And, hey, this game 
is very simple. These are two very, very good teams. Neither quarterback is 100%. That's a factor. Hurts his shoulder, Mahomes' ankle. Neither one is going to be 100%. At this part of the year, not a lot of players are 100%, but the quarterbacks are critical and they're not 100%. This game is very simple. If you're looking at the Chiefs, who are a one and a half point on the dog, and the numbers are pretty much solidified at one and a half and fifty and a half, the Chiefs have to do two things in this game: stop the run and protect their quarterback. Case closed. Those are the two things this Eagle team dominates at. They run the football on an incredible level. They've outscored their two opponents, sixty-nine fourteen. Giants weren't in their league, and the Niners had no quarterback. That's how you wind up with 69-14. Plus, the Eagles have rushed for 416 yards in their two wins, and they have dominated, dominated with their pass rush. Their pass rush destroyed the Giants. Their pass rush completely destroyed, literally destroyed, the the Niners quarterbacks. And Reddick has been an incredible force. Reddick, Chris Jones... Both guys in the spotlight this week with so much, so much. They will be factors in their game equally. Jones was an enormous factor in the win over Cincinnati. And Reddick just took over the game against San Francisco. But that's the essence of this game. The Eagles can... They have a dynamic passing game. They have two wonderful receivers. We know what the Kansas City passing game is. The Kansas City running game is not bad, but it's not in any way overpowering. Although Pacheco's done a good job. The Chiefs, Eagles are really good defensively, and they got a great pass rush. Uh, I mean, four guys, 70 sacks, Reddick. The Chiefs' defense is better than people think. It's not great, but it's better than people think. And it did a good job against the run on the Bengals, and it put pressure on the quarterback. Won the game by putting pressure on the quarterback. And that's what this game comes down to. Fascinating that the Giants, because of the way they were set up this year, I have no problem with them losing patience with Tony. He played in 12 of 24 games here. He played in two games this year. He was always hurt. They got nothing out of him, so they traded him for a three and a six, and we know how talented he is. We already knew how talented he was. We were dying for him to get on the field with the Giants. He never did. Yes, the Chiefs have raved about how talented he is. Wide receiver, punt returner. He will play in this game, but he got hurt again last week. He's always hurt. He got hurt in the title game. He will play in this game, and he could make a big play. There's no question about it. He could catch a big pass. He could break a a short pass and turn it into a 70-yard touchdown, and he could return a punt for a touchdown. We know how dangerous he can be. And, of course, the Giants having, because of their salary cap situation and where they were as a team, Releasing their best deep back before the year, and he winds up in the Eagles secondary and having a terrific year. And you know what? That happens. I mean, it happens. 
But when you think about it, the Giants had a really, really amazing season. It didn't end well in Philly, but they had an amazing season in that they turned things around behind their new coach. And they have a say in this game with Tony on one side and Bradbury on the other side. Uh, he'll be a free agent after this year because when he signed with the Eagles after nine days being cup- waived by the Giants, he and the Giants, I think, saved 10 and change on the cap when he left. Um, they signed him for one year at $7.5 million, so he's a free agent at 29 and hasn't ruled out a return to the Giants, so the Giants could use him. So those two giant players, Bradbury at, at corner, Tavares uh, Tony at wide receiver and punt returner, factors in this game this week as we get ready for what should be a very, very uh, interesting Super Bowl. And as far as X's and O's and analysis, we will give you that in a pick uh, on Friday. We had a good regular season with the picks. I think we were 40 and 28. 39 and 48 and 40 and 28. We won the contest. And then we're 8 and 4 against the spread. Only lost one game straight up, and that was the. I picked Cincinnati to beat Kansas City in the AFC title game. Uh, and I'm 8 and 4 against the spread in the playoffs. Um, so we'll do all that with our last Football Friday podcast of the season. Remember what we said about the new promotion with the Squares game, so check that out. And remember, you can send us your uh, emails at MikeFrancisPodcast at gmail.com. MikeFrancisPodcast at gmail.com. Here we go. Fred starts us off with, if the Jets are able to land Aaron Rodgers, what is the minimum they have to accomplish in your eyes? Um, the minimum next year? with Rodgers would be to make the playoffs. I would even expect more, but uh, that would be the minimum. And I think that would happen. How many years does he have? I think he's got two good years left. Maybe three if you push it, but I think two, definitely. He's not far removed from the MVP. And let's be honest, last year was a nightmare for him with the offense around him. Ernie, because Hurts did not look good in his last two games, along with being a running quarterback, does that change the way you feel about him and signing him? No, not at all. He was—he showed that he can be a top-level player in this league. I would sign him completely. I understand he runs, but he also has a good arm, and he has a good feel for the passing game. I, and he's a leader, and he's a good kid. I would definitely sign him. There's no he, To me, he answered every question. He has nothing more to prove in this league, nothing. Walt, given what happened in the NFC Championship game with the Niners, do you think the NFL should mandate each team dress three quarterbacks? Yes. I think in the playoffs from now on, you should be mandated to dress a third quarterback. And he shouldn't count as a roster spot. I don't think there's any question that makes sense. You cannot have the games dissipate the way they did and just completely fall apart. I know it's an unusual game, maybe one in a hundred, where you will lose both quarterbacks. And neither will be able to finish the game. I understand that it is one in a hundred, maybe even more than that. But I agree that it shouldn't happen, and you should at least – 
add a third for the postseason, add, and it doesn't count as a roster spot, add a third quarterback in uniform. I agree. Uh, Matt, was wondering what you think of Jay Wright as an analyst for CBS. You know, I haven't seen him do enough games yet. I've been in touch with Jay a lot. Um, he's been on the podcast. I've talked to him a bunch. Uh, I think he's liking it. I think it's tough for him because the transition has been very tough for Villanova. I mean, you expected a transition from a legendary coach, but it's been even tougher than we thought. Um, but I think he'll be fine as an analyst. I don't think there's any question. Now, I got to let, let, let him go through the NCAA tournament. Let me see him perform a lot. I've only seen him do one or two games so far. Thomas. What do you think about the job that has been done at Rutgers in basketball, the job that Steve has done? Do you think he uh, – do you think they could compete for a national title? Yes, I do. Um, he's built a team that is competitive, very competitive in the Big Ten. He's built a team that has a reputation for being very, very tough in its building, that plays very, very good defense, lost a tough game to Indiana last night, have had many big wins, including Michigan State last weekend, and others in their building. They've had big upsets in their building. Uh He's done a very good job with the program. They have a reputation for the way they play. They play slow and hard and tough, and uh, they're a dangerous team. So I think they have done a very good job. David, uh, why do you think the Patrick Ewing coaching tenure at Georgetown has been such a disaster? I really don't know. You know, I think people take for granted how hard it is to build and sustain a program. We take coaches like Beheim for granted or guys who last a long time for granted because they do it year after year after year, and they show some slippage late in their career, but they still put forth a good product, and it shows you that it's not as easy as it looks where people think, oh, it doesn't matter who's here, they're going to win. It's not true. It's not true. Look how tough it's been at St. John's. And St. John's has hit the skids again this year after a, what we thought was a, you know, a big start. And then the win at UConn. And now they've hit the skids again. And now there's talk of a, quarter, of a coaching change there again. I mean, it's very, very hard to get a program turned around. And it's equally tough to sustain it. Look how far off Villanova has fallen without Jay Wright. Shows you what Jay Wright brought to that program. That team was a top 10 team, was one of the two or three dynasties in college basketball in the last decade. And now this year they're under 500. And right now, the only chance they have of making the NCAA tournament is to sweep the Big East. Otherwise, they have no chance, no chance to make the NCAA tournament. Their record against top 100 teams is abysmal. They're under 500 in the league. They're under 500 overall. Right now, the only chance, and you got to give them at least a punch's chance because they do have talent. And if they get more healthy and playing at a high level with Whitmore, they could be very, very tough. But again, it's been a terrible season for them. Do you think the Knicks made a winning statement uh, against the Sixers? 
And should Brunson be in the MVP candidate, uh, conversation? No, he's not on that level yet, but he, uh, he's become everything you would want him to be here. You have the guy who should lead this team going forward. He's there. They need to make changes. I would love to see Randall go packing. I would love to see them make a bold move and change the face of this franchise, but it is now Brunson's team. I don't think there's any question about that. And he is everything and more that uh, anyone could have hoped he, and what I thought he would be, because I've loved him, loved him since he was a Villanova. Do you think that Seifert, Shanahan, and Coughlin belong in the Hall of Fame? Well, they all won two Super Bowls. Now, Seifert's problem is how badly he did in his second go-around and the fact that everyone feels he just inherited a dynasty. He, that hurt Tom Flores for a long time, and it hurt Seifert. As far as Shanahan and Coughlin, I don't think there's any question they're Hall of Fame coaches. I don't think there's any question in the world. Email from Kobe. Eric Bieniemy used to be a hot commodity for a head coaching job. No one, it seems, considers him anymore. Well, no, he has been interviewed in this go-round. Why do you think he can't get a job? I don't know. I've been asked this a bunch of times. I don't know the enemy. I mean, I remember him as a running back at Colorado. He's been with Andy Reid for a long time. I think part of it is being an offensive coach on the Andy Reid hurts. Now, it has gotten other guys jobs, and they've had success, including winning a Super Bowl. Just look now at the head coach in Jacksonville, and you will see a guy who started on Andy Reid and became a head coach and won a Super Bowl. But I don't know if he's a bad interview. So much of it is in the interview process. If you go in there and you don't interview well, and maybe that's the enemy's problem, I don't know. So I don't have a reason why with the resume, why the enemy hasn't gotten a shot. I do not have a reason. He probably doesn't get as much credit as he deserves because of the uh, presence of Andy and Mahomes. Brian, what do you think of Phil Mickelson's career decisions the past couple of years? It's a shame. It's a shame he didn't uh, prioritize TV. He could have been a successful successor to Faldo as Nance's partner. I agree he could have been. I think he would have been very good at it, too. I know Phil. I've been in, in his company. I've been around him. He's a very personable person and can talk about anything. And he's, you know, he's a golf savant, let's be honest. He's a genius at golf as a player and as someone who thinks it and comes up with different things and everything else. Um, I don't like any part of this whole factioning off of the golf I think it has been bad for the players who left, although I can't quibble with Phil Mickelson making $200 million or Dustin Johnson making 125 or Cameron Smith making 125 or this guy making 50 or making 100 I can't 
tell somebody not to take that money? I can't tell Dustin Johnson not to take $125 million, but I'll say this. The PGA had better understand that what has happened with the players leaving has put a hole, a gaping hole in the PGA product. I find myself not interested in a lot of golf tournaments now because of the number of guys who are missing. I miss watching those guys play. Later this year, I'm going to be able to see them on Netflix or wherever they put that product now. It looks like it's going to be Netflix. But I think the part of this that is very real is that the PGA has been severely damaged by the loss of these players. Dramatically damaged. I miss these guys. I loved watching golf. I, when I look at these tournaments now, I turn it on on board. It's, it's really taken a lot out of golf. They need to put it back together. There's got to be a way to put it back together. And I think until they do, golf is going to take a severe hit. Um, a lot of people are never going to forgive Phil. Maybe he needed the money. There's a lot of rumors that he did. I don't know that. Actions speak louder than words, so maybe he did need the money. I don't know why he would need the money. That's not my business. I have no idea what he did with his business. But don't be naive to think somebody who makes a dramatic amount of money can't lose it all because they can. They just play games at a different level. Lewis and Elizabeth. Couldn't help but notice what could have been an iconic picture of LeBron breaking the record is ruined by 98% of people holding their phones in the background. 98% of the people in the, in the building still chose to see it through a camera. Um, I, you know, I watched it. Jack and I watched it last night. It was clear in the third quarter he was going to get it done. The aftermath of those kind of things take on almost a weird feeling because you still have a game to play. You got to stop the game. Now you got Kareem on the court and you got the commissioner on the court. And unfortunately you got, you know, celebrities on the court, which no one needs to have them on the court right now. I understand they're his buddies, but you know what? They can wait till after the game to congratulate them, but they want to be in the photo op. So, listen, it was, you knew it was going to happen. He was brilliant in the game until then, and then he scored two points and they lost. So, and and then he hurt his foot. So, hey, the Lakers are terrible. They're they're awful. They're a bad team. Lost a big game last night to a good young team that's going to get better, especially when they get the big man back next year. And the Lakers are just bad. They don't defend anything. They throw the ball away. They're a terrible team. But LeBron's, you know, breaking that record. It's an incredible record. And look how many points he is above any of the active players. It just gives you an idea. Andy, 
Thoughts on Jim Beheim's quote Saturday regarding several ACC schools buying players. Now, he recanted two of the schools. Okay, but I still think it went over like a lead balloon. He finishes the email by saying, this got to be Jim's last year. I don't know that it's Jim's last year. Jim was out at Syracuse in 17, in 18, in 20. He's still there. I've gotten the opinion he's going to call his own shot, and I don't think he's ready to go. I think he's talking about coming back next year. But he made a decision about why guys retired, like Jay. Did the portal, and did the transfer portal probably lead Jay to leave? I bet you it had a lot to do with it because it's not how he recruits players. Now people are going to steal your players and they're going to recruit your players out from under you and players are going to move at a dramatic level. What will watching happen? And they talked about outwardly buying players, although he did apologize because he said two of the schools out of the three that he mentioned, Pittsburgh and Wake, he said he took it back. He had said Miami did it. He said Miami outwardly did it, but Pittsburgh and Wake Forest, he took it back. He apologized, said he shouldn't have mentioned them. Now, the bottom line is, let's be honest, any coach you talk to tells you that people are recruiting their, your, play, their, their, your players right out from under you with this new process. It is awful what is going on. College football and basketball are in a terrible place. And I don't know how they ever put the genie back in the bottle. I don't think they can. The court decision changes everything. And I don't think they can do anything about it. You're going to have this kind of movement. And the movement is outrageous. Look, Providence had a whole new team from last year. Now he's done a very good job coaching the team, but he's got a whole new team in one year. And plus, coaches will tell you that schools are outwardly recruiting players out from underneath you. It's not a good situation. How it changes, I have no idea. And it leads you to having a whole bunch of schools. Like if you asked me a month out from the NCAA tournament where we are right now, you know, a little more than a month out, who's the best team in the country? I would say this. If they're on their game, I think Houston's the best team in the country because when they play at their highest level, which means they're making some shots, making their free throws, they can, be, they can shut you down defensively on a level that no one else can. They can just stop you from playing. They were down to Temple, which has been playing well, at the half the other day at Temple, and then put forth the second half where they held Temple scoreless for like 10 minutes and scored like the first 15 points of the second half and one, one going away. They can be that dynamic. Purdue obviously has the big man and a freshman who can fill it up from outside. That's a good combination. There are plenty of other dangerous schools, but it is wide, wide open. I mean, more wide open than usual. It's even hard to find a team to beat right now. I mean, look how good UConn looked in December, and then look how weak they looked with a big win last night against Marquette. It is wide open, more than it has been. But the process and what's going on in college sports is awful. 
As for Beheim, I'm not sure if it's his last year. He's been there forever. You realize that guy's been there as a player, as an assistant, as a coach since 1962? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And he's had a wonderful career as a coach. Wonderful career. People knocked him for a long time, and they were wrong. They thought he just rolled the balls out. You know what? It's not true. And then what he did with the zone, the zone became his trademark, and he recruited players who could play it, and he taught it, and it, it beat a lot of teams. So he's had a wonderful career. He really has. And he's done a great job at Syracuse. He will be missed when he's gone. Remember, we have plenty of stuff coming up, including our Football Friday podcast for the Super Bowl with prediction, analysis, and everything else on Friday. And we will have a post-Super Bowl podcast right away after the game. We'll put it up 20 minutes after the game. We'll record it. Mons will have it up for you before 11 o'clock at night, and you can get it then with the Super Bowl. I hope there's something worth analyzing as far as Sunday's game. You never know in the Super Bowl, although lately the Super Bowls have been better than they used to be as far as the games go. And this looks like a highly competitive game in every way. Two very, very good competitive teams, both having wonderful seasons. We'll see you down the road. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.